It's my privilege to, to round up the series Woke, the Woke series, Land of the Long White Cloud, and especially the gospel throughout Aotearoa. And, um, you know, looking back at our history, we, we can see straight away that, that the initial um, response from, from the missionaries and, and the gospel was somehow unfruitful, and it all went quiet. Um, but but a, a letter from Samuel Marsden um, to CMS in, in 1808 revealed that he believed Samuel Marsden, the guy who preached the first gospel message in 1814 on the beach, December 25th, decided that, that in order for Māori to, to receive the gospel, they first had to be civilized and be taught some life skills like how to build boats and, and, and huts and stuff like that. So it was, it, was, it was well over a decade later when the first recorded baptisms happened in, in Aotearoa. In fact, it was a, as a, a man by the name of uh, Kraitiana Rangi. He was the first recorded baptism. Uh, but but the, the, the first baptisms, baptisms in this country were basically because the people were ready to die. Um, Kraitiana died the very next day. There was others that had been baptized, and they died within a week or a couple of weeks because they were sick. And, and so, so this, this need to, to, to have to baptize them, um, you know, began to roll out. Um, but it wasn't until around the 1830s that Māori began to step forward and, and accept Jesus as their Savior, willingly. Right? And, and it was the, the missionaries from, from CMS, like the, the, uh, the Williams brothers, um, Henry and, and William Williams, like Pastor Ann said, I mean, they were destined for greatness with a surname like Williams, right? Right? And, 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 and Alfred Brown and, and Robert Mournsall, it was, it was when these guys uh, um, were on the scene that, that a change began to happen, that a shift began to happen in our country. And I believe that they, they and, and you'll probably find this, if, if you go onto the Otago University website, there's a lot of information on, on, on the early um, CMS as well as CMS's website. Uh, but they realized that too much time had been wasted trying to teach life skills. I think maybe for, for some churches, not this church, but certainly some churches, uh, maybe a lot of times wasted teaching life skills. Just saying. I hope you still love me after this. The last, the last service nearly stoned me to death. All right. Even though I told them that you're going to love me, but but they approached it with a slightly different attitude, if if you like. And and I wanted to share a, a scripture that Pastor Ants put up uh, a couple of weeks back from First Corinthians nine verse twenty, and it says, "And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews; to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law." And it was this it was this outlook. This approach with the gospel that had a profound effect on Māori in this country. How do I know? Well, Lois's great-great-great-grandfather, uh, a man by the name of Koi Koi Paraone, uh, a warrior from Tauranga Moana, he fought in the Battle of Gate Pa. Um, he gave his life to Jesus. He became born again. And the amazing thing about it was that he took on the surname Brown after Alfred Brown, the the, the the um, archdeacon who, who baptized him. He took on the surname. Now, you got to understand, I mean, Pastor Ants can baptize me 20 times, but I ain't taking the surname Cuthers, right? That's the kind of love and, 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 and relationship that these early missionaries had with the Maori people. And in fact, today, Lois's uncles, her mum's brothers, still carry the surname Brown till this day because of Alfred Brown. That was the love that they had. There was always a story in, in, the, in her family that said that the name was bestowed upon the family um, and, and taken from a, a priest, but they didn't know who it was until, and I didn't know who it was until we started the series last year that we found out who it was. Pretty cool stuff, eh? Right? 
And I think if, if, if we want to put this in perspective, I think that these missionaries understood something. And, 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 and it's always important to personalize the Word of God for yourself, eh? And so, you know, maybe it looked to them like this. And to the Māori, I became as a Māori that I might win Māori. And so by the mid-1800s, right, 80 to 85% were Christian. Māori were Christian in this country. If you look on the CMS website, they state somewhere between 90 and 95%. So the 85% is quite a liberal number when, when these guys are uh, estimated at more at 90 to 90. That's unheard of. That's unheard of in the history of the gospel of Jesus. No other country can boast that amount of salvations. Not one. And I believe for us as believers and as the ecclesia or the church that we need to get woke, right? Find out what worked and why it worked. Because the power of God doesn't change, right? Right? Or does it diminish in some countries? No. The power of God, the, the power of God's word doesn't change. And so we need to pay attention, like I illustrated before. You've, you've got to look back to move forward like you're in a rowboat, Right? So you're looking that way and you're rowing, but you're moving that way. And I think that we need to get a little bit woke as to what worked and why it worked. Because if you haven't looked at the last stats from the 2018 census, Christianity's on the decline. We were around 47% in this country put their hand up and said that they were Christians in the 2013 census. And this time we're, we're down to 36%. Tell your neighbor, we've got to get woke, right? Oh, we can't blame the devil for this, right? God's not going to ask the devil to give an account on the day of judgment. He's going to ask you and me. And so as I look back into our history, I wanted to pull up three points that I believe or three things that I believe were, were critical or were pivotal in, in the success of the gospel in this country. You might, you, you might look back and find two. You might look back and find four. It's okay. There might be God ringing you now, right? But at least you're looking back, right? We can, take, we can take what these early missionaries did and do it again. God can turn it around, right? Yeah, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word, his word doesn't change. People change, but God's word doesn't change. And so the first reason why I believe that, that the gospel was so powerful in this country was that it was used effectively, Right, you can use the Word of God to build somebody up or you can use the Word of God to chop somebody down. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. Talking about realigning what you're led by. Are you led by your soul or by your spirit? And of the joys. This is the part where I think some people skip. And of joints and marrow. Who knows what joints and marrow is, right? And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, we can use the Word of God to build somebody up, to get them back into alignment with God. Or we can chop them off at the knees, right? There's death and life in the power of the tongue, yeah? And the successful missionaries realize the importance of this. They realize that in order for them to win the Māori, they had to become Māori. They had to realize that in order for them to win over a people so that 90 to 95% were saved, 
that went to church, that pay their tithes, right? They had to line it with tikanga. Because to me, they're no different. I mean, they had to realize that they had to be connecting with the people that they were surrounded by, the places that they were surrounded by, and the stories that they were surrounded by. Like, Jesus walks up to fishermen and talks about fishing. Ta-da! Right, right, like, like it's, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If he had walked up to Peter and Andrew and said, follow me and I'll make you a doctor of the law, what do you think they would have said to him? I mean, fishermen were quite crude back then, so I can't repeat what they may have said to, to Jesus, right? Do you get the picture? Like, it's no use talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah to a people that hadn't seen a lion for 3,000 years. You had to be relevant. No use talking about the spirit of mammon to a people that wealth wasn't part of the value system. But when you talk about a great rangatira like Moses that heard the voice of God from a tree, from a tree, right, the burning bush, right, Māori could connect with that. They got that, yeah. And then the voice said to Moses, take off your shoes. I mean, they were already in bare feet. They got it, right? Because the, the, the land that you're standing, or the place where you're standing is tapu. They got it. Okay, we need, to, we need to be able to connect the Word of God with people when we're reaching them for Jesus, not cut them off at the knees. Like, when they mentioned that Jesus spoke to a fig tree, Māori got that. You think that's weird? I mean, it's in the Bible. My rule of living is if Jesus did it, I can do it. Right? If you mention the tree of life, Māori got it. They, understood, they even had a name for the tree of life, Tāne. You're all going quiet on me. They finally had an utu. Māori knew what utu was. They finally had a payment for all. You know, I, could, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at these, these encounters, and, and, and I believe that they would have been asking questions like, you know, do you mean to tell me that all my sins are forgiven? You mean to tell me that all my debts are cancelled? Because Māori understood what Utu was. You mean to tell me I don't have to go back and forwards with this law of Utu anymore? Because the last thing we heard was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So you mean to tell me that this is the last will and New Testament of God? This is a new law, the blood of Jesus, amen? Māori understood, I guess, the, 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 the side of the Bible that that the missionaries had to grasp for themselves, that they had to pull out, that they had to learn. And because of this connection, Māori began to lay down everything that wasn't tika, tikanga, right? Tika means true. Anything that wasn't in alignment anymore was pushed aside. That's why we had 90% of Māori professing Christ, right? It's like the, the children in the, in, in the desert, you know, when, when the cloud shifted, they had to realign themselves. They, they, they had to pack up church, right? They had to move everything. Someone had to carry the altar. Someone had to carry the drums, right? What a pain to have to realign with God. But God doesn't move on our terms. God doesn't move when we're ready. God moves when he's ready, right? And it was Aaron and his four sons, Nadab, Abayu, Eleazar, Ithamar, the, the, the five of them, one of them would always be watching the cloud. And when it moved, they had to pack up church. 
Could you just imagine doing that today? Tonight. Right, tonight. Hey, if you, if you want to experience what God did in the wilderness, come down and help us set up church tonight in Ngaruahia. Um, but the, the, see, the early missionaries even realized the connection between the story of Maui and the story of Jesus, the parallel. Right, they would use the stories of Maui to teach them who Jesus was. Right? That, that Jesus and Maui were both man and God. Yeah? Like, like we, we, we call him a demigod, right? But, but we're talking about man and God. Yeah? Like, like Joshua and Maui slowing the sun. Like Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua. Right? To, to, the, to the blood of Jesus, the blood of Maui's nose, his ihu, just, just happened to be the, the name that we bestowed on Christ, ihu karaiti. The second reason why I think that the gospel was so transforming in this nation was because eventually Māori would become the missionaries. You know, I love what said a few weeks back. We had someone say something a few weeks back about um, some, some work that they had done. I don't know how far I can go with this. Um, but, but uh, you know, um, the work that they had done, that when they were in the mission fields, that, that they were only ever the scaffold. It really stuck with me. I don't know, for some reason, I mean, I don't retain much. It takes a lot to get, it, get stuff into my head, but, but this thing's bounced around in my head, that, that they, they saw themselves as only the scaffold, and that the people that they were reaching were the church builders. They made them build the church, and they were only there to support them. In fact, once those people began to get baptized, then their people baptized the next lot of people. Right? They didn't wait for the pastor from from this country to to baptize them, right? It's not biblical that the, the pastor has to baptize you, like you said, right? It was the locals that built the church, and they were only there to, to hold them up. You know, the, some of you may know the story of Tarore, you know, the 12-year-old girl from Ngati Hoa that, that, uh, that, that carried the, the, the book of Luke that was translated in, into Te Reo Māori, and that uh, this, this tonga she'd carry with her wherever she went. You know, it was just one book, book of Luke, and uh, she carried it around. She got it from the, from the mission schools in, in Matamata, from the Browns, um, while they were there. And then um, uh, a tribe that we won't mention, because there's some, some whanau in here that are from there, uh, things started to heat up between Ngāti Hoa and them. You know who you are. Um, all right. And so they said to the, to the mission school, hey, pack up and go over, go over to Tauranga, because, and this is how, how Alfred Brown came into contact with Lois's great-great-great-grandfather was with, when they moved to Tauranga Moana. Um, move over over there. Things aren't safe for you here. Uh, so they packed up the school, and of course, you know, it takes us an hour and a half or whatever, however fast you drive. It, it took a bit longer in those days to get over there, so they had to camp the night, right? And they camped at Waiere Falls, and um, this 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 tribe had come over the hill, and whether they, they saw them as a threat or not, I don't know. Um, but the, the camp was attacked, and uh, Tarore was killed in the process, and her tonga was, was stripped from her and taken back. Um, and, and so what blows me away is that her father, Ngākuku, preaches forgiveness at her tangi. Now, I've got, a, I've got a little girl, and I can't say if I could preach forgiveness at her tangi if that happened to her. Just being honest with you. This was how much of a transformation these guys had had. And so Uita, the, the, the warrior that was responsible for it, he had this tongue, and he, they, they couldn't read, and, and uh, there was a visiting ex-slave, a slave who had been set free because of the gospel, 
come down. He, he could read. And so Uita said, read this to me. And he, and he read him the book of Luke and Tadeo. And it transformed this man, this, this cold-blooded murderer. It transformed his heart because the, power, the, the Word of God is alive and active, right? And so much as that he immediately sought to ask for forgiveness. You know, sometimes I wonder, uh, I really love the, the story of um, uh, Jairus, Jairus and his daughter in, in the book of Luke. It really tugs at the heartstrings. And I wonder if maybe it was that story in the book of Luke, you know, that Jairus runs to Jesus and he says, my daughter's sick. My 12-year-old girl is sick. I wonder if it was a story like that that he connected with that would tug at him enough that he needed. You know, when, when you go and ask someone for forgiveness after killing his daughter, I mean, that's a death sentence for you. You've got to have a lot of nerve to show up. But one person that retells the story, one of the locals that retells the story, says that as the men saw each other, tears began to roll down their face. There had been a shift in their heart, something that nothing else could do but the Word of God. There was a shift in their heart, and tears rolled down, and as they came together, they embraced. And there was peace between these two tribes because of the gospel of Jesus. That's powerful. You know, and, and then that, that book of Ruka was then taken throughout the country, and thousands gave their life to Jesus because of it, because the Māori became the missionaries. And the, and the third reason why I believe that the gospel was so powerful in this country, and the reason why I'm telling you these is because we need to be equipped Right? We need to change 36% to 47%. Right? And the third one I believe why, why it was so powerful is that Māori could connect to the Bible culturally. And I know some of you get a little bit scared when we start talking about culture in church and, and Christians start getting a little bit nervous. Right? But this is a biggie. Because Māori could, could see that there was a correlation between their worldview and the Hebrews' worldview. I want to use the term worldview because it explains it a little better than culture. I think culture, you know, I mean, culture doesn't mean anything to anybody if they don't know anything else, right? But their worldview, they could connect with the, with the Hebrews. Māori could see that the Hebrews had a sacred mountain too. Māoris could see that the Hebrews were in tribes too. Māori could see that, that a rako, a, a piece of wood, you know, Moses' stuff is matā, right? could be used as an instrument to channel God's power. Two, they could see that there was a direct relationship between the Hebrews' creation story and their creation story. Te kore te po te ao, right? The, the, the void, the darkness, and the light. That it's, it's spat out in that order in Genesis. And I think it's important because the worldview is what shapes people's thoughts. This is how people see things. I know it's, it's a little bit hard for some of us to, to grasp, so I'm going to show you a little bit of a, an illustration. I mean, to, to, to Māori, it was just a normal, that's all they knew, so, so they didn't know there was a difference. Um, today we categorize it as an Eastern worldview, and maybe you've grown up with an Eastern worldview, maybe you've grown up with a Western worldview. It's okay, they're both right. It is okay to have a different worldview from someone else, right? Maybe you've grown up with both. But I just wanted to show you, because, I mean, I'm a bit of a, a rising artist at the moment. And so I wanted to show you what I've been working on lately. I'll come down here so you can see it. Um, I mean, I worked for about a week and a half on this, so I'm glad you guys, like, I'm going to sell it after the service. But, um, but, but this picture, <laughs> see, you've got to make people laugh before you slam them with the word of God. Right. But, but in this picture, so, so this picture was given to a group of people 
And they were asked to circle the old one out, right? No trick question about it. It was just, can you please circle which one you think is the old one out? And so, um, no surprising, they, oh, they pick on the little guy, right? The, the little guy, like, he's the same shape as the rest because I cut and paste this guy. So, so that's why they're so identical, right? I cut and pasted him, but I just shrunk him, right? But because he was a different, I guess, size to the rest, he was, he was different from the rest. So that's why they circled this guy, okay? But they found that some people did this, right? They, they picked on the guy on the left. Now, now whether the right-wing extremists, I don't know, right, their, their political bias, but they picked on the guy on the left. And when they were asked why they did that, their response was that this guy didn't fit with the family unit, that there was a mum and a dad and a, and a child in between. Guess what? They're both right. Guess what? <laughs> They're both right. And they all got 10 gold stars, right? And unless we, as the church, grasp this, we'll never be as successful as the missionaries that went before us. I mean, we're in an age now where we're, it's such a, a melting pot now, even more than ever. Back then, it was only two cultures, right? And, and maybe a couple of Frenchmen and, and, and a couple of Americans, right? But we're in such a melting pot now that it's, it's, it's more crucial than ever to understand that, that you don't need to have the same worldview as someone else, and it's still okay. The Apostle Paul, he went to Athens and you know, uh, he said, I was, I was walking around. Actually, he was passing through. But for my illustration, he was walking around. Right? I was walking around, and I noticed something. I was, I was looking at your objects of worship, and I saw an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Right? You've got to remember that, that these guys were philosophers. I mean, their worldview was totally different to where Paul came from. Right? Different worldview. He could still relate. I saw an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. The God who you worship that you do not know, he's the God that I'm talking about. See, we could take a note from Paul, probably one of the best or one of the greatest missionaries out there, right? That we can reach those with a different worldview. It's It's like your brain. You know, we have two sides to the brain, a left and a right, funnily enough. Right? It'd be weird if it was top and bottom, but, but a left and a right, and, and the left-hand side of your brain controls the right-hand side of your body, and the right-hand side, your left, right? And they say that your, your left-hand side is more of your logic side, and your right-hand side is more of your creative side, so left-handed people tend to be a little bit more creative than right-handed people, right? Because they're stimulating that side of the brain, right? Well, what's, what, what blows me away is that you can have two halves of a brain that work and have different functions and still make a body move. Like I haven't tripped up once today, right? So it can can happen. You can have the left and the right working together. I'm not talking about politics, right? But you can have the left and the right work together. It is possible. And we need to understand the reason why that we all have a diverse uh, uh, cultural system or, or, or the reason why we have a different worldview, the reason why we have different languages is that it's God-given, right? This, this wasn't blessed to us by the devil, right? The, the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis 11, God confuses the languages. They all had to go and start again. 
they all had to go and, and, and figure this thing out because they couldn't understand what the pastor was saying anymore, right? They couldn't understand what the guy down the road was saying anymore. They had to figure it out again for themselves. And then if it's God-given, then we need to allow people with a different worldview to be who God's called them to be. Two people say amen. We need to let people be who God's called them to be. I mean, I, I get it. Like, you know, I, and I've heard it, you know, um, our, our identities in Christ. I got that. I got it. Like, trust me when I say that I know who I am in God. But I'm still trying to figure out who I am as a Māori. That's all. And that's okay. Maybe you're in a situation where you're trying to figure out who you are. Why God made you who you are. Why your parents are who they are. Because, I mean, if, if, if it was up to me, I think I may have chosen some different parents. I don't know. Just saying. Like, we, we don't get to choose our parents. Right? We inherit them. We, we, we're born into it. I mean, if, if, if I think, you know, maybe half the world had their way, they probably would have chosen Bill Gates. Just saying. You know what I mean? Like, right? It's, it's God-given. Who you are is God-given. You know, the, the Tower of Babel, for me, uh, I, I spent a few years wondering why God would do such a thing and destroy their, their tower because, because to me, they had a, a heavenly idea, right? Let's build a tower that it may reach heaven. I mean, we, we all aspire to reach heaven one way or, or the other. We, we do it in worship and we, we lift our hands and we, we're trying to reach and pull heaven down. We we're at least trying to touch heaven, right? But the Tower of Babel is a picture of uniformity. Right? That, that Nimrod, the mighty hunter, that, that it, it, it insinuates that he hunts people to walk over. But, but the, 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 the Tower of Babel is made of bricks. So it says that they had bricks. They baked bricks and, and they had slime for mortar. But, I mean, like our house is made of bricks. Oh, it's clay with bricks. And, and you can't tell one brick from the next. Like you can look at the front of my house, you can look at the back of my house, and the bricks all look the same, all the same shape. Why? Because they've been made from the same mold. And I think sometimes we try to mold people, right? Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, right? Conform, schematic, that's the Greek word that's used is where we get the word schematic from. Pattern, yeah, this is how it's made. This is how it's done. Do it this way, right? I know guys probably like, I don't know what he's talking about because you guys don't read the instructions when you're putting something together, all right? But be transformed, by the renewing of your mind. Right, that transformation is, is metamorphosis. The Greek word is, is where we get metamorphosis. It's when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. There's a transformation, a new level, a new season. It is possible for two people to confess that Jesus is Lord. One believe that he's a fisherman, right? One believe that he's a, a carpenter. One believe that he's a doctor, right? He's a healer. It is possible, and that's okay. You're both right. All three of you are right. If you believe that, that, that Jesus was a carpenter and the person beside you believe that Jesus is a healer, guess what? You're both right. I want to read you. A, I can hear the, the, the music starting to play, which means I've got to get off. Um, but I, I want to read you a letter from um, NZCMS. Um, you, can, you can go to their website and, and find a lot of uh, amazing tools on there, but um, there's a, this is just a snippet from an article. And it was written by a guy called Mark Grace. And it was just prior to the 2014 uh, bicentennial celebration of the gospel coming to Aotearoa in, in 1814. Uh, and it says, 
In secular New Zealand, there is a growing prominence and preference given to Māori spirituality. Within the health sector, education and criminal justice systems, we see legislation, principles and protocols which take Māori spirituality seriously. Peek under the hood of our education and environmental systems and you will meet an increasing number of Māori leaders who pray at ceremonies, speak at opening events and carry out any number of spiritual duties. There is a respect and openness to Māori spirituality which is not given to institutional Christianity. I believe far from grieving the loss of Christianity's influence, we need to be asking, what is God doing now and how do we join Him? And that was from CMS, the guys that sent us our missionaries to this country. Um, and, and in fact, not too long ago, uh, King Tuhaiti just opened up the highway, uh, the, the Huntley section of our new highway going in. And it was done with, with karakia and with a blessing ceremony. I'm not trying to point a finger or anything, but that's the church's job to be, right? Like God called us, yeah? Right? We're the head and not the tail. I'm not saying anything belittling the kinky tongue, but, but I'm saying that the church is supposed to lead this. So I think we should look back at our history in order to move forward. I think we need to take a, a couple of pointers from our missionaries that were here first to see what went wrong and, and how do we fix it. Maybe we need to start seeing that people with other worldviews aren't so bad after all. And maybe they just haven't got everything wrong. You know, maybe you need to ask God this morning, what's my part in this? Because there's an awakening that's already started in this country now. We talked about it last year and, and it was an awakening. It's already, it started now. And, you know, I don't know what it's like to get left behind or, or miss a plane or miss a boat, but, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? But it's up to us to ask God what's our job in this. It's up to us to bring these statistics back up. We can't just go on judgment day, oh, well, it was the devil's fault. You made him, right? And he made all this mess, so therefore it's his fault. No, it's our job. We're the ones that are going to have to answer to God for it. We need to bring these statistics back up. Maybe we could get back up to 90 to 95%. How's that? Uh, is it possible? I mean, with God, all things are possible, the Bible says. 